1: It is Wednesday, March the 8th, and it is Craig Roberts with you, yay, once again, and good to have you uh, with us. And may I add what a privilege and pleasure it is to spend some time with you on the ride home or wherever you might be headed or whatever you might be up to on this uh, Wednesday afternoon. A quick uh, reminder coming up tomorrow is the Church of the Week. We, of course, every week highlight a different Bay Area pastor in our 6 to 7 o'clock hour on the program. Program, and we're always looking for new recommendations. So, if you've been thinking to yourself recently that bum, that good-for-nothing scallywag, Robert he has yet to interview my pastor. What's up with that? Well, why do not you? Uh, why didn't you drop me a line? And we would love to uh, potentially add your. Pastor to our list of future guests. Now, a lot of churches in the Bay Area can't get everybody on. There's only 52 Thursdays in the year, but we do our best to try to present a pretty decent cross section of folks from uh, throughout the San Francisco Bay Area. Part of our intent here is that many of these individuals, uh, you know, have stories to tell, and we'd love to share those stories with you. It's been remarkable the number of people that have, um, down through the years that we've been doing this, um, sent emails and said, you know, You know, I heard my pastor on the other day, and my goodness, Craig, I had no idea that my pastor had that kind of background or had gone through those experiences or that was part of their spiritual journey. So it's not only an opportunity for you to learn a bit more about your own pastor, perhaps, but then, too, there's always a segment of our audience that is new to the San Francisco Bay Area that is seeking to find a church home. Uh, Maybe you're somebody whose family is growing and the needs for... um, Your experience on Sunday is changing a bit, and so you're looking for a church that, for example, has a dynamic youth ministry because your children are at that age, or you now have children. And so we like to present a cross-section of Bay Area ministries to not only appreciate them, And uh, encourage you to do the same, but also to give you a broader awareness of the caliber of the pastors that are out there. And I think that's been the one big takeaway that I've just had my heart thrilled with. And that is to see that uh, here, kind of a ground zero of the mission field and uh, uh, the challenges that we face in uh, standing up for the gospel in the Bay Area. um, We've just got an outstanding group of pastors across the San Francisco Bay region. And we want you to know about them. So, if you would like to uh, nominate your pastor as a potential future guest on the program for Church of the Week, well, we invite you to drop a note, comments at kfax.com. Please uh, refrain from mentioning about um, what a louse the talk show guy is at (laughs) 5. But if you want to give us information and say, hey, I'd like to nominate my pastor, his name is, my church is, here's the contact information or website or what have you, we'll certainly be happy to consider them for a future edition of Church of the Week right here on KFAX. That also, by the way, runs on our sister station, um, 1640 AM, The Light at KDIA. So let's hear from you. All right, let's uh, let's get down to cases here this afternoon. I want to deal with a subject matter that, quite frankly, I think all of us have had bouts with or have encounters with. As you simply go through the day-to-day challenges of life, it might be a divorce, maybe you've become a victim of violent crime, maybe the loss of a loved one, or even the diagnosis of a life-altering disease or illness that has all created in your life trauma. And and trauma and its impact, of course, can take many forms. Even the trauma itself, sometimes hard for you to kind of put your finger on. You just know that there was a, a certain turn of a corner in your life that suddenly now you feel as if you are constantly accompanied by fear, fear perhaps to the degree of being even crippling um, pain that deep ache that just paralyzes you and makes you want to run for the bedroom and pull down the shades and pull the covers over your head if you've been there you know exactly what I'm talking about if you're there right now We've got some good news because trauma is something that, in fact, you can overcome. You can break free from the pain, the isolation, the despair, and uh, and really find new hope and new life. Here to tell us more is Pastor J. O. S. Ledbetter. He's the lead pastor of Sunrise Church, located here in California, in Clovis. He's the author of a number of books, including. Your Heritage, How to Be Intentional About the Legacy You Leave, and the latest, Set Free, Released from the Damage of Trauma. And Pastor Ledbetter, what a delight to have you spend some time with us here today. I mentioned about some of the, the triggers for trauma, things that in the day-to-day course of life, many of us have had involvement with, experiences with, and found that are unavoidable. And, you know, a lot of people, I think, get into that, position where they're dealing with the impact of trauma on their life and it's so crippling that they either don't know where to turn or are fearful of turning to anyone for help because they think it perhaps suggests that they're a weak individual or that their faith is not all of that uh, that strong what do you think well,
2: and you're, you're right on. You're, you're strumming my heartstrings here. What made me decide to uh, write this book? Um, first, I'd like to define trauma uh, so that when I talk about it, it, it'll be more in a straight line for me um, and maybe your listeners to understand this. The trauma is not a, a, an event that happens to you. Um, uh, as As we talk about those events, like divorce or like the loss of a loved one, or like uh, a bad uh, automobile automobile accident. Uh, the, the event itself will will cause the trauma, but we all have had traumatic events. a tra- A traumatic event isn't the trauma. The trauma is the chronic reaction to that event that you never can get over. That's what causes your trauma. That's why three people can suffer the same traumatic event and and uh, only two have trauma. Or only one has trauma is, what, is actually what they say. One out of three that suffer the same event will, will suffer that trauma. So it's that chronic reaction and that's what I deal with in the book is the chronic reaction, and I take um the readers into the scripture because I believe the greatest psychology book ever written is the bible um It's written by the one who is uh who who has created this, the very essence of who we are, so he knows us better than we know ourselves, and took some of the characters out of there, like Mary and Martha, who dealt with fear, like Job who dealt with anxiety, the first three chapters in Job are nothing but anxiety, and that's what trauma causes, fear, anxiety. They also, when you, when you get to those two, through those two, the next one will be mood swings. You, 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 will, you won't know what to do. At one point, you'll be feeling okay, the next point, you'll be feeling as low as, as low can be. Those mood swings, then that makes you isolate yourself. So you have fear from this event. You have anxiety from that event. You have mood swings from that event, and then you go to isolation. And isolation is a bad place to be because isolation creates uh, hopelessness, which creates desperation, and that's when people do desperate things. And then when they when they get through those three, they get through it. The, the third, the last one is uh, you will lie because lying, you have to create a safe place, uh, a safe place for you, and sometimes the only safe place can be created is in something that you know is not true, but it's like the the Apostle Peter. When he saw uh, Jesus being led away, um, the greatest being he had ever encountered in his life, the Messiah himself, um, it was over, so he followed him, and when he got with the people that were against jesus the only safe thing for him to do is lie and that's exactly what he did i don't know him three times he said i don't know him. which he faced that trauma he left bit bitterly um the bible says but we we create a safe place for us and all of those things are very difficult to overcome so in order to um i i think uh Uh, Probably the the best statement I ever heard was from uh, psychologist Goble. He stated that being informed about the deeds of trauma requires us to connect to what it means to be human and then understand the impact of that trauma on top of that. And what that statement looks like in real time is, there will be events in your life, and from those events, seeds will likely be planted deep inside you from being profoundly hurt. So be careful, because being human, we tend to fertilize and water those seeds to keep the effects of that trauma alive, and that's what we do. that's the trauma we deal with—the uh, just the chronic reaction to that traumatic event.
1: Pastor Jay Otis Ledbetter with us today. We are discussing his latest book, Set Free, Released from the Damage of Trauma. When we come back, we're going to talk about the way in which not only the impact of the trauma to the traumatic event uh, can oftentimes be paralyzing, but also the enormous fear that often takes place that kind of grows that prevents many people from even facing their fears or addressing or acknowledging the trauma for fear that they will reopen that wound will revisit a very painful experience and the flood of pain and frustration and anger and inadequacy and all of those emotions all come back again and so oftentimes people will take the approach that i just rather not deal with it at all for fear that if i deal with it it's going to just help me or put me in a place where i'm reliving that traumatic experience we'll take a brief time out our conversation with Pastor Ledbetter continues right here on KFAX.
0: And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts.
1: As we are learning from our guest today, Pastor J. Otis Ledbetter, senior pastor at Sunrise Church in Clovis and author of Set Free, released from the damage of trauma. Oftentimes, it's not just a singular event that is traumatic, but then the lingering pain and emotion that can last, well, as some of you know, weeks, months, years after the initial shock, the initial event. For some people, the pain of it alone can be paralyzing for a lifetime, and I guess the one the one challenge that oftentimes is met by many, Pastor Ledbetter, and that is the sense that, well, if I confront this... I recognize that there's an issue here in my life, but the fear of revisiting that initial traumatic event is so strong and so overwhelming that I just, I don't know where to begin, and I'm fearful that if I start to seriously address this, all I'm going to do is just rehash all of those memories, rehash all of that pain, and wind up even more paralyzed than I am now.
2: Yes, and that's true. Because that's all you see. You, you just see the trauma. You see the event. You relive it. You relive it. If I could, if if I could give an illustration from sports, uh, <clears throat> and it's like a, a football player, uh, a kicker. Uh, the, the game is tied. At the you got three seconds left, and you walk in. You are the one that's going to put it through the uprights, and you don't. It goes left. It goes wide. And, um, or you're behind, I should say, and you lose the game for the team. That traumatic event happens. The guy drops to the ground, grabs his helmet for the next year because they didn't make the championship. He relives that kick over and over and over and over again, hoping somehow that that football this time will go through the uprights. But in replay, it never will. So he's, he's taking a, he's wishing for a different outcome. And that's kind of what we do. We, that traumatic event uh, that happened to us, we wish it didn't happen. We wish we could get a different outcome from it. And the replay is it happened. And now what you have to do is face it. But what trauma does is uh, the best one that's ever explained it that i've read is is uh, jane levy and she explained it like this that trauma fractures comprehension like a pebble uh, uh, shatters a windshield the wound at the side of impact it, it spreads across the field of vision it will obscure reality and it will challenge your belief so the fear in trauma comes from not seeing reality and challenging what you believe. If what I believed is that would never happen to me. What I believed is God would watch after me and I wouldn't lose that person. I thought God was going to heal that person and I believed it and your reality and your belief is challenged and you can't get through that and you that just that just keeps coming at you. I've I've had I've had people say to me after 10 12 15 years. Why did God let my grandpa my grandma suffer so much? And they don't go back to church because the chronic reaction to that traumatic event keeps them from it. The reality is ensured and their beliefs are challenged. And so they, they live in a fear of it's gonna happen again. You know, that really creates a fear if you think about it. If your windshield has ever been blocked, you're driving down a road, the freeway, and your windshield shatters or your hood comes up and you can't see there is a great fear and you try to stop things as quickly as you can but trauma that's what it does it obscures that field of vision and the fear then comes in on you and so what you've got to do is you've got to get back to see reality and you cannot allow it to challenge your belief
1: is part of this then at the core, uh, that sense of, of unmet or unrealistic expectations, we were expecting that life would always go along this well, we were expecting for mom to live and be there to not only witness my wedding, but to hold her first grandchild, things of this sort, and when mm-hmm. that doesn't come to fruition, that it sort of exacerbates that, that, that deep sense of, of, of grief and loss?
2: It does, in all my counseling over 54 years, all of my counseling is, I see that so often. And you know, I even i even find it in myself sometimes. God, why'd you let that happen? You know, I believed you were in control, and I, I really do believe you're a good God, but man, it doesn't look like it from my vantage point right now. And what we have to do is we know God is in control, and we know God is good. So we have to be able and willing to allow him to work through that event until he can prove, number one and two, to us.
1: Wow. And oftentimes then that becomes almost a stumbling block in the sense that not only does it impact the way we see life around us, our own sense of attitude living with that kind of cloud of disappointment and despair. But the very source that we need to go to in order to break free and, and, and to break free and to get victory, all of a sudden there's a blockage in that relationship, too, because we're blaming God for all this.
2: Yes. And I, I tell folks who who come in and they're sitting here, and I say, there, there's, there's a there's a path to, to getting out of this. And the best path is, first of all, accept your situation as being from the Lord, Um Nothing happens by surprise. And he, he does, oops is, his, is not in his vocabulary. You accept your situation as being from the Lord, and then you begin to act on the offense, not the defense. You live, live vertically in this horizontal world. That's how you get through it. If you try to live horizontally, it ain't going to work. You live vertically in this horizontal world. And, and attitude is critical. And adjusting your thinking is critical. Um, uh, those are some of the ways that you, you, steps that you can take through through this. So, um, and that's a difficult thing. It's easy to say, but when you're in the middle of that, it is. Uh, it takes a, a, a lot of strength.
1: And you know it's interesting, Pastor, because we we know from Scripture that you know it, it rains on the just and unjust. That 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 pain and loss and trauma is is not exclusive to to any group. That said, I have to wonder if perhaps for people of faith because of how it tends to oftentimes interrupt that that vertical relationship, is it oftentimes more difficult for people of faith to admit they've got an issue related to a traumatic experience? Because, you know, let's face it, oftentimes we as the church do the best to shoot our own wounded and we say, well, you know, there was something faulty in your faith if that happened. If you got sick, yeah. clearly you weren't trusting the Lord. There must have been sin in your life. And so we tend to kind of pile on, which would make me wonder if perhaps for people of faith, those that we think should be best equipped to address this might face some of the biggest stumbling blocks because of all of the implications surrounding it.
2: Oh, you're really onto something there. You really are. In in our, in our Christianity, I think we're taught image that, uh, God blesses. You. If you'll come to Him, He'll bless you. You won't have any more problems. So many people could turn to the Lord for that reason, but that's not a good reason to turn to God. Um, and that image is nothing, sup- uh, I'm a Christian and I've, I've declared that to my friends and my family. And now if I admit that this thing has happened to me, that has also happened to them, and I'm no different than them. So I've got to put this facade up and, Reality is obscured to you, and, uh, and, and and it's harmful. It's just
1: harmful. Undoubtedly so. I, I'm going to keep you for another segment, if I might. If you've just tuned in a bit late, Pastor J. Otis Ledbetter is with us. We are talking about his new book, Set Free, Released from the Damage of Trauma. And listen, it can take place in so many forms. And it can perhaps be a dramatic event or experience that goes back weeks, months, years, decades for some people. And it can so deeply root itself in your heart, in the very center of your being, that the fear of repeating that experience is crippling to you. The pain becomes paralyzing and unfortunately the one source where you can find the release is oftentimes the one that you blame the most we're going to take a brief time out when we come back we're going to continue the discussion and uh, talk about the link between trauma and fear and how to change your viewpoint in order to help cope and begin to get freedom from the effects of trauma Pastor J. Otis Ledbetter with us tonight. A timeout back with more as Lifeline continues.
0: And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts.
1: We're obviously just skimming the surface of an extremely deep and multifaceted, multi-layered topic tonight, talking about the impact of trauma. The toxic emotions that it can create and how that oftentimes um, not only extracts a very heavy toll on us, but paralyzes us. And it can impact relations not only on the horizontal plane, that's the given, but on the vertical plane as well. Learning how to be set free from all of this is the topic of a new book written by my guest tonight. The book title is Set Free, Released from the Damage of Trauma. And um, we wanted to spend at least another segment here with Pastor Ledbetter on this critically important topic. topic. And, you know, the one thing we were tossing, talking about, Pastor, before the break is the manner in which this can affect relationships, including our one with God, who is obviously most capable of helping to uh, help us break free from all of this. And I'm wondering if, in some cases, for some people, maybe the the impact of the trauma happened so long that they have become almost familiar with it, not to suggest that they're comfortable with it, but living in this state of sort of, you know, perpetual fear, paralysis, um, crippling anxiety is almost the only thing that they know. And therefore, they begin to almost even believe that this is this is just normal living. Yeah, you're so right.
2: Um and we see that, uh, what you're articulating there, we see that with uh, the children of Israel, when they were delivered out of bondage under the heavy boot heel of the Pharaoh and the Egyptian armies and all of that. They finally got across the miracle of the Red Sea. They saw God work. They got over that. They met hardships. They met traumatic times. They lost a lot of people. And then they began to tell Moses, that, you know, why did you bring us over here to die? we would rather still be back in Egypt with the leeks and the garlics. And, and w- at first, when you read that, you think, what? <laughs> what do you mean you'd rather be back in that slavery? And the problem with, with it is that <clears throat> what we've done, we've been in slavery so long to certain things that we know the rules there. We know how, how to navigate the rules. And with the children of Israel, they were in a new place, They were led out of that they didn't know the rules yet and they saw these things happening they wanted to go back where they knew the rules they felt comfortable with the rules they didn't feel comfortable with the slavery they didn't feel comfortable with what happened to them but they knew how to navigate that and where they are now they don't and when you're counseling somebody and you bring them out of that traumatic event then there's new rules and they don't If if you don't give them new rules that they can live by, they want to go back to where they were comfortable. They were comfortable in the pain because... They could
1: navigate. Yeah, and, and and they've learned to kind of create the coping mechanisms to you know suffer through it. And I guess there's also that sense that they're they're comfortable with it. And we're using that term, by the way, in quotes. I want listeners to understand that. But people yeah. are comfortable with it because it's the familiar. And if you've never known what freedom is like, if you've never been able to come out from underneath sort of the the gravitas, the impact uh, of, of of the pain of that traumatic experience, and and all of the repercussions, that's the only thing you know.
2: Yeah, that, That's true. And I, uh, So I sit with people and I try to bring them out and it, it, as much as possible, I can't bring them out. I try to convince them to see things from a different viewpoint so they may exit that, that chronic reaction to that event. You can't change the event. The guy can't change the, the fact that he missed that field goal. It's not going replay, never changes. Okay how much you watch it it never changes as much as you wish it would change it never changes you don't you're you're not you're not trying to change that replay what you're trying to do is learn what happened there and then learn how to navigate getting out of that. And, and uh, a time will come for that kicker. He can prove himself maybe next year, but he can prove himself again and show his worth. So I tell people, you know, the first thing you need to do is from from where you presently are, identify the weaknesses, and, and then aggressively shoot the positive things that will make you stronger than they are and Paul said that to the Philippians he said here's what I want you to think about I want you to think about whatever things are pure true noble just whatever things are lovely whatever things are of a good report and if there's any virtue if there's anything praiseworthy think on that And that's really important and become skilled at uh, managing your negative emotions that's a difficult step because uh, up to the present, that person who is dealing with a trauma, the negative emotions have really been managing them. And so, what it takes, there's got to be a coup d'état in the command center, and they they take over those negative emotions. And then I tell them you need to articulate those negative, negative emotions because faceless
1: enemies are impossible to defeat. You know the, the, the other thought too, Pastor. I, I'm wondering because oftentimes, and not 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 exclusively, but but oftentimes the genesis of the trauma may be relational, meaning you've been through a divorce, somebody has you know robbed you, and it was a violent uh, experience, and and so we mm-hmm. we can we can focus our anger on what we perceive to be. <coughs> Pardon me, the person who caused that trauma or that injury. But I would wonder, too, as much as there is a tall order in learning to forgive them, is one of the biggest challenges, perhaps, learning to forgive ourselves? And I pose that question because I wonder oftentimes people that kind of get stuck in all of this and then maybe through their own means they have tried to, unsuccessfully so, break free and then all of a sudden they play the blame game well if i was a better christian if god loved me more if i only i'm just i'm i must deserve this because clearly there's something about me that makes me less worthy and so i just wonder how, how challenging is it in terms of being a block to getting victory over this is that sense of guilt and shame and the inability to forgive yourself
2: Yes, that's true. In, in, in the chapters of, of the book, Set Free, I, 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 we talk about fear keeps you from getting over the trauma, anxiety, and mood, mood swings, and then isolation, and then lying, all those. And that spells S-A-M-I-L. It's an acrostic And the last one that blocks you from getting over the trauma is you. That's the why in family. Family will really help you. But you are the. Generally, as you said, you may be the greatest obstacle to getting mm-hmm. over uh, that that event, and to come into terms with that event, and not not allowing it to manage you. You manage it, and you have to you have to do this because you don't stumble across a happy life. You create it. Um, a lot of people are waiting for something else to happen. If I can buy something I'll feel better if I can move cities I'll feel better if I could do something you don't stumble across a happy life you create so you have to train your thoughts I love what somebody said that positivity in in your life will look for quality the quality of your thoughts mm. because the quality thoughts are positivity's favorite food <laughs> I love that and so that's how that, that, that's how you start the path to exiting the chronic reaction to that horrible event.
1: It's all a step at a time. And, uh, you know, the well, they say the long journey, it begins with the first step. Maybe the first step is the fact that you happen to listen to this program tonight. Maybe the second step is you go out and, and get a copy of the book and begin to learn and read and understand and, uh, and then eventually begin with these baby steps to understand that uh, this doesn't have to be permanent, that there is victory over this. As Pastor Ledbetter mentions, you're not going to erase the fact that that the traumatic event happened but what gets erased is the ability of that traumatic event to maintain hold over you emotionally and spiritually and yeah. uh, you know if you feel as if you're just kind of stuck there in isolation and nobody else could understand well i'm here to tell you yeah plenty of people understand and um, and and learning to sort of redefine uh, how you see yourself how you see the trauma will ultimately allow you to re- redefine the relationship on both the horizontal plane and most importantly on the vertical plane. Jay Otis, a Ledbetter author of this new book Set Free, Released from the Damage of Trauma, Pastor, we appreciate you taking some time to share from your heart and the book on the program tonight. Want to direct listeners to your website to get more information? Uh, You can go to just simply J.O. Ledbetter, L-E-D-B-E-T-T-E-R, spell it just the way it sounds, J.O. Ledbetter.com. You can also go to the usual suspects, including Amazon.com, to get a copy of the book, Set Free, Released from the damage of Trauma by our guest in this segment of Lifeline, Pastor J. Otis Ledbetter.
0: And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts.
1: National Defense Authorization Act. The bill gives the president the authority to indefinitely imprison American citizens without a court hearing, both domestically and abroad, bringing the battlefield to the homeland, all in the name of anti-terrorism. Is it ultimately perhaps anti-constitutional? Not just unconstitutional, but anti-constitutional? With some insights on this story and what appears to be a significant degree to which our rights as Americans are eroding, we're joined now by Fox News Senior Judicial Analyst Judge Andrew Napolitano. He has a new book out entitled Is It Dangerous to Be Right When the Government Is Wrong? The Case for Personal Freedom. And Judge Napolitano, is always great to have you on the program. Oh, nice to be with you, Craig. Thanks for having me. Uh, Your reaction to this story, you know, we've been hearing so much about uh, concerns over trying to deal with uh, apparent uh, attacks on American soil by Al-Qaeda as if somehow that the combined forces of the FBI, the at the Judicial Department, on and on the list goes, are not significant enough to deal with terrorism. Now we're working toward passing bills that literally, as I say in the opinion of some, would bring the battlefield to U.S. soil.
3: And that's the ability to arrest people without charge and incarcerate them without end and keep them from a lawyer and loved ones and visitors and, most importantly, from a judge and a jury. Who could possibly feel safer that way? But that's what was concocted by the Senate uh, Armed Services Committee at secret closed-door hearings while we were eating turkey and watching football Thanksgiving week. They suddenly uh, sprung this on us on the Monday after Thanksgiving and with minimal debate on the floor of the Senate that would allow the President to declare that the United States of America is a battlefield and that includes all 50 states and all uh, territories and commonwealths and permit him to use the military for domestic law enforcement. Now, the federal government has not used the military for domestic law enforcement in this country since 1876 when uh, it was using it for domestic law enforcement in the South in Reconstruction. And one of the provisions that ended the troops in the South, 1876, is uh, 11 years after the Civil War was over was legislation prohibiting the military for this purpose at any time in the future. They're not going to use the military to direct traffic. They're going to use the military to pick up people that the president wants picked up. Just as he had Anwar al Alaki killed by a drone, the president thinks he can arrest people without charges, without evidence, and lock them up and throw away the key. Now, the Fifth Amendment to the Constitution directly prohibits this and says no one shall suffer loss of life liberty or property without due process of law due process of law means charges a trial a fair trial a judge a jury a lawyer and the right to appeal the president and members of Congress, this is both parties, this is actually instigated by John McCain, a nominal Republican, believes that they have the authority to do this. It's reprehensible, it won't keep us safer, it'll bring us one step closer to a totalitarian government. It's the type of thing I write about in my book. It is dangerous to be right when the government is wrong.
1: But all of this, Judge, part of this bigger picture of the erosion of our constitutional rights, where so much of this, as I suggested in my opening remarks, is not just simply unconstitutional, but but seems to be working against the con- Constitution against it and, and against every form and fashion of what it is that we have held dear in this country and has made this country different from any other nation on earth. That is the notion that the government does not grant rights, but rather the government is in a position to protect our God-given rights. Now all of a sudden that's changing.
2: Well, the
3: government acts as if our rights come from it, not from our humanity, because the government continuously be- behaves as if, as if it can just turn off our rights. It certainly did with Mr. Al-Awlaki, who Notwithstanding uh, his his un-American or, or or non-American, I should say, sounding name was born in New Mexico. The president decided on the basis of secret evidence that only he and the people to whose confidence he, he in whose confidence he reposes trust saw that this person was so dangerous, he, and the evidence of his behavior was so overwhelming that a trial wasn't needed. When Abraham Lincoln made that argument during the Civil War, while Southern troops were shooting at Northern uh, soldiers and and invading Pennsylvania, the Supreme Court said, you can't do that. The Constitution exists for everybody in good times and in bad. The government just can't declare a person outside the protection of the Constitution. If that were the case, then the Constitution means nothing. And you, Mr. President, took an oath to uphold it. So that's what we're going through right now, Craig. Uh, I, I don't know what President Obama will do with this. And I don't know who will uh, succeed him, whether his successor comes about in January of 2013 or or four years thereafter. It doesn't matter. The framers didn't trust this kind of power in the hands of any individual. And that's why they gave us these guarantees, these protections. If the Congress thinks that it, it can violate its oath to uphold the Constitution by writing away these guarantees, then we have no freedom. Our freedoms are subject to the whims and the fears of Congress.
1: Well, and we live in a day and an age, judges. You know that we've seen even the president insist that if Congress can't get "quote unquote" the job done, that he will do it for them, as if to suggest that somehow now the executive branch is going to be able to somehow inherit or take on what uniquely had been held as a right of the legislative branch to pass
3: laws. He started a war on his own. Uh, he bombed and killed in Libya while uh, he was in Brazil, and the Congress was on spring break. Did you know the Congress gets a spring break? Well, it does. I thought only college students did. Nevertheless, Congress did nothing to stop them from uh, from doing that. Congress did nothing when he when he killed this uh, American citizen and the guy's sixteen year old son. About whom he admitted he had zero evidence of uh, of criminal uh, behavior or or immediate uh, or immediate danger. Congress did nothing about it. So Congress, which sometimes acts like a potted plant when the president does things that Congress perceives as politically popular, although unconstitutional, or as my friend Craig Roberts says, anti-constitutional the congress is just as much to blame for letting the president get away with this as the president is for doing it
1: you know there's an important wake-up call here and and i want to encourage people judge to get a copy of your new book is it dangerous to be right when the government is wrong this notion that you know we we need to decide what do we value more do we value safety or freedom i tell you I, i remember walking down the streets of moscow prior to the collapse of the Soviet Union. And I have to tell you, even at 10, 11 o'clock at night, in very dark streets, you felt eminently safe. You knew somebody with an iron fist was in charge. And the crime rate in Moscow in the middle of the night was practically nothing under Soviet communism. But you also knew that as safe as you were, you had no freedoms whatsoever. Do we really want to live in that kind of environment where we feel safe, but have no freedoms to to exercise in that safety? Of
3: course course not. Of course we don't, but that's what this government, Republicans and Democrats, is bringing us to. Look, George W. Bush and Barack Obama have frequently argued that their first job is to keep keep us safe. They're wrong. Read the Constitution. It tells you what the president's job is. The president's job is to keep us free. If they keep us safe but unfree, they're not doing their job period. That's what this book argues.
1: Here's the $64,000 question, Judge. If if Congress is not doing its job, if the president is not doing its job, and we have concerns even about the judicial branch doing theirs, what do we do as American citizens?
3: We have to vote them uh, out of office, or we have to uh, disobey unjust laws. The courageous people who, who desegregated Segregated lunch counters in the South in the 50s and the 60s broke the law, but those were unjust laws that the legislatures lacked the political will to change and the courts lacked the intellectual fortitude to change, but but civil disobedience changed them. Here's an example of present-day civil disobedience. The Patriot Act lets federal agents write their own search warrants. Something else we could talk about. It's blatantly unconstitutional because the Fourth Amendment says only judges can issue search warrants. When they hand you the search warrant, they tell you you can't tell anybody about it or will arrest you for telling anybody. Guess what? A lot of people who've received these self-written search warrants have been telling people. They're lawyers who have been going into court to challenge them. Guess what federal judges have been doing? Invalidating them. So sometimes it's necessary to be courageous in the face of an unjust law and do the right thing, and freedom will prevail. The other thing to do is to vote out of office anybody who who enacts legislation that blatantly, directly, and clearly profoundly. Soundly violates the Constitution.
1: Judge Andrew Napolitano, again, the new book, Is It Dangerous to Be Right When the Government Is Wrong? The Case for Personal Freedom. The book, newly published by Tom Nelson and available through Judge Napolitano's website at judge nap. That's judge nap.com. As always, Your Honor, appreciate having you on the program.
0: Pleasure, Craig. Thanks for having me. Take care now, Judge.